And I'm hoping that during this meeting today, I can provoke something, stir something, shake something loose, as it were, in our hearts together, that we would be stirred up again to believe God for something profound. Uh, the, the story that's got nothing to do with what I'm preaching about today, but the woman with the issue of blood had heard from the prophet Zechariah, she'd been reading, where Zechariah said, when the son of righteousness comes, he will have healing in his wings, or that phrase in Hebrew could be the edges of his, the tassels of his garment. There'll be healing in the tassels of his garment. And she had read this, and then she'd heard stories about Jesus, and she believed that he was the Messiah. And so she said to herself, that's the Messiah. And according to the scriptures, there's healing in the tassels of his garment. So if I can just push through the crowd and touch the edge of his garment, power will come out and I will be healed. And so she, on the basis of her own faith, pressed through the crowd uh, where she was not allowed. She made everybody ceremonially unclean by being a woman with an issue of blood in a crowd. She pushed past them all, reached out as Jesus was going by, touched the edge of his garment, and Jesus felt power leave him. He wasn't even conscious. He wasn't even aware of the woman, but he felt power go because she reached out and she touched by faith. I'm hoping this morning to stir your faith a little so that you would dare to reach out and touch and lay hold of something that God has provided for you. Is anyone up for that? So... In the neuroscience of trust, there's a Harvard Business Review in 2017. Uh, one of their professors, Paul Zak, wrote that compared with people in low-trust companies, people at high-trust companies report 74% less stress, 106% more energy at work, 50% higher productivity, 13% uh, fewer sick days, 76% more engagement, and 29% more satisfaction with their lives, and 40% less burnout. And so there's this, there's this big discussion now in business circles about learning a culture of trust. How can we create trust among employees? How can we build a culture of trust? Because they're seeing that when you have a culture of trust, things work out much better. There's just life. Everything, everything good is extended. Everything bad is diminished. This culture of trust is a big stinking deal. And it's exactly the same in our spiritual life. If we develop a culture of trust, a relationship of trust between us and the Lord, everything that is good is magnified. Everything that is bad is made minimalized. So the beauty of this idea that we should be people who live by our relationship, our vital walk with the Lord, and that hinges on how much we trust Him, our faith. Now, the best example of all of that in the Scriptures is the guy called Abraham, because Abraham had somehow stumbled on to a place in his own heart where he just believed in God. He goes, all right, you're it. I believe you. Somehow Abraham caught it. I don't know how he caught it. I don't know where it came from, but Abraham latched onto this idea that God is good, and he's wholly trustworthy, and he's worthy to follow. And so that's what Abraham did with his life. So God shows up in Ur of the Chaldees to a moon-worshipping Babylonian and says to him, Abraham, I want you to leave your country, and I want you to leave your father's house, and I want you to follow me. He goes, where are we going? He says, I'll show you later on. How many of you like vague promises of the future? No, no, Lord, I need you to tell me exactly. He goes, no, I'll tell you as we go. So often when you're holding on to this doorway, the, the doorway God has called you through is just far enough away that you have to let go of this one. Have you ever found that? You have to let this one go, take a few steps, and then you can grab onto that one and open it up. But I've tried. 
didn't work. There's this element where God says, I want you to let go here. And I'm going to lead you this way. And so Abraham, because he has this culture of trust, he has somehow in his own heart developed a trust of God that he goes, all right, I'm in. I'll, I'll walk with you. And the, the, the most common scripture that's quoted about Abraham is that Abraham believed God. And it was credited to him as righteousness. That Abraham took uh, everything else in his life and he took God's word and he took God's word at face value and said, okay, I'm in. This, I'm going to set aside. I'm going to suspend this. I'm going to believe you. And because he made that his attitude, God could lead him into tremendous blessing. And through Abraham, all the nations of the world have been blessed. He is probably the most noted figure in history. All three of the world's major religions herald him as a father of the faith. So this idea that to be found in right standing with God fundamentally boils down to our trust. That trust in God will empower us beyond the moments of hardship and through the places we don't understand and into a place of blessing and favor. Now, God called Abraham to make five fundamental sacrifices. And let me tell you what, they, he said, leave your native country bunch of Babylonians. Babel was known for a few things. Babel was known for its, um, its selfish ambition. When God said, I want you to spread out through the earth, the people at Babel said, no, we're not doing that. We're going to come together and we're going to build a, we, we're gonna build a tower up to heaven. We're going to make our own religion. And by the way, we're going to make our name for ourselves doing it. Selfish ambition was built into the culture of Babel. Arrogance, selfish ambition, a love of money, sexual immorality. There's a bunch of others. I can go through them. But that's the culture that Abraham grew up in. And God says to Abraham, I need you to leave your native country. I need you to step out from beyond the boundaries of this. And if you look at that at face value, you go, wow, God's just being mean. He's calling him away from his safety net. No, God is saying, I can't do for you what I plan to do if you're going to cling to that bunch of people. Are we preaching yet? You've heard the saying, you can't get there from here. And sometimes you can't get there with the group that you're in. And it's not a mean thing. Uh, on the face of it, you go, oh, God just called Abraham to sacrifice. No, you know what he did? He made Abraham a promise while he called him. He said, listen, I want you to leave your, father, this, your father's house, but I want you to know I'm going to make a nation out of you. I want you to leave this nation, but I'm going to create the nation that I want, and it's going to be formed around you. See, there's a promise, and then there's a process, and then there's a provision. God said, I'm going to make a nation out of you, and I'm going to cause all the nations of the world to be blessed for you. Or you could stay and worship the moon with the rest of the Babylonians. But I need you to come out here, Abraham. And there is a process. There is a walk that is required. There is something of a sacrifice required. And we go, oh, well, but that's just very mean, God. I, I, I think that's harsh. He goes, yeah. But the dream that I have for you is so immensely valuable that I need you to willingly obey me. Because I could, I could force you out of there, but then that's harsh, and you'll resent me, and then it's ugly. He says, so Abraham, I'm telling you, I'm calling you, I'm making you a promise. Come away from them. I'll make a nation out of you. See, the promises of God for your life are not intended just to titillate you. The promises of God are intended to help you make a yes decision to the call of God on your life. God never dreamed a dream for you that would hurt you. He dreamed a dream for you that would bless you and to prosper you and to give you hope and to give you a future. That's what the scripture says. 
So his dream for you and his promises for you are for that end. And so he calls you in that process to step away from some things. And Abraham had to leave his, his father and mother. He had to leave his native country. He had to leave that extended family because they were a bunch of tradition keepers. And while he was staying with a family, they would have held him. Their tradition would have locked him in. Their perspective would have limited him. And, if he, and God said to him, I need you to leave your country and I need you to leave your family. Thirdly, he said, I need you to leave your cousin Lot because Lot had come with Abraham. Lot had said, yeah, those people are horrible. I'm coming with you, Abraham. And God said, I need you to also just leave Lot. Because Lot was a bit of an opportunist. He went where it was good for him. And God said, I don't want that around you either. I need you to step back from that selfish opportunity, opportunist. And I need, you to, I need you to come out here where I can talk to you about being selfless. And I can talk to you about doing only what I want. And I can talk to you about being generous. And I can talk to you about the blessing of God on your life. And he said, so hand that away and I will bless you. And then Abraham decided he'd help God because God had said, I'm going to give you a son. And he looked at Sarah, and she didn't look like she was beyond childbearing years. And so he said, I'll make a plan. And so he had a child with her concubine, and Ishmael was born. And God said, yeah, unhelpful. Unhelpful, Abraham. And so he had to let go of the son who became a resentful orphan. He had to leave that behind. You know what's interesting in the story of Abraham? God never acknowledges. He always says from then onwards, he said, take your son, your only son. (laughs) But there's another son. God never acknowledges Ishmael again. That sounds harsh until I realize that God doesn't acknowledge my works of flesh. I was quite glad. Thank you, Lord. But now we come to the story, the part of the story that I want to get to, which is where God says, those four, were, you, can, you can get there, but now God says, I want you to take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac. Laughter. And I want you to bring him to me, and I want you to sacrifice him to me. So let's go to the story. Genesis 22. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am. He replied, and God said, Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on the mountain that I will show you. Every sacrifice, remember, we know that God has asked Abraham is to remove from his life what ultimately would have been harmful to him and God's purpose for him. Each came with a promise, right? So the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and I'll make you a nation. So Abraham continues to do what the Lord's telling him, and the previous four times, whenever he steps into what God's called him to, he receives a greater blessing. He receives more opportunity. There's more scope and blessing and favor on his life, and more and more doors tend to open up for him. So he had left his country, sold to idolatry, his family caught up in tradition and unwilling to change. His nephew Lot, whose friendly help limits him. His son Ishmael, who was his past shame. And now even his great love for his son Isaac, which might have become an idol in itself. Can I just pause and take a tangent here and say to the parents in the room, it is 
helpful for your children every once in a while to understand that they come second to your love for Jesus? When last did you require your children to obey something that Jesus has required of the family? Can I suggest that without that, your children will grow up selfish and entitled and feeling like they don't have to go to church. But if you teach them that they are not the Lord of the house, you are not the Lord of the house, Jesus is the Lord of the house. And every once in a while, they need to sacrifice along with you for his cause. The best way I know, the best way I know as a parent to help your children grow up loving Jesus is every now and again to remind them He's the Lord. But that's inconvenient for me, Dad. My, this is what I need to go. I need to go here. We, we're not doing that for the kingdom's sake. But everybody else is doing it. Yeah, but everybody else doesn't love Jesus. We're doing this for Jesus. That was for free. So the Lord says, listen, I want you to go and sacrifice your son. Verse 3, early the next morning. Abraham got up and loaded his donkey, and he took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. And when they'd cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place that God had told him about. And on the third day, Abraham looked up, and he saw that place in a distance. Early the next morning, he was quick to obey. While it was still dark, he began saddling up the donkey. And he went out, and he chopped up the wood for the fire. And I think Isaac kept asking him, so why does Dad keep looking at me while he's chopping that wood? Because he's chopping up enough wood to burn his son up after he killed him. Because God said, I want him as a burnt offering. And so he's chopping. Dad, how do you know how much wood? I don't know. Come stand here. It's about right. And then they walk for three days. So much of the story reminds us of another son who's going to walk up the same mountain. See, see what, what you don't, what's not immediately apparent is that God is directing Abraham to go to the place and it's on the mountain range of Moriah, which is where a little hill called Golgotha is. And, and God is sending Abraham to this place. And Abraham is going to take his son, his only son, whom he loves, and sacrifice him there on a hill, the place of the skull. And this three-day period, because in his heart he's decided, I'm going to obey God anyway. And there's a three-day period where in his heart his son is already dead. And he's waiting for this resurrection. Abraham has his hope, because the Bible says that Abraham thought God is going to resurrect him. Can I just say that when the Lord calls you to go somewhere, it's going to take some perseverance. That's three days worth of thinking about what I'm going to tell his mother. And God called him to go to a specific place. He didn't call him to go vaguely close, somewhere near, make an effort, sort of in the same direction. That's not going to get it done. What's the last thing the Lord called you to? You've been on it? He said, I want you to go, Abraham, to the place that I'll show you. And he's walking three days, and he looks up and he sees the place. And I don't know how the Lord showed him, but that's the place I want you to go. And so he said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there and we will worship and then we will come back to you. And Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac and then he himself carried the fire and the knife and the two of them went on together. 
Here comes the first of his faith-filled confessions. He said, we are going there, we're going to sacrifice, and then we are going to come back. Contrary to what he's believed, he's been told. Abraham is trusting that God is going to raise his son. And he boldly proclaims what he believes about who God is and what he is capable of. We will worship there, then we will come back to you. And Isaac is carrying the wood, prophesying about the other son who was going to walk up that same hill carrying a wooden cross. Abraham carries the fire and the knife, but Isaac is carrying the wood up the hill. And he's sure that the God who commanded him is good and what he's promised cannot be broken because God said through Isaac, your genealogy will continue and I'll bless every nation on the earth through Isaac. And so he said, okay, well then God must be able to uh, raise him up. This father leads his beloved son carrying the wood that would mark his death with a heavy heart yet full of hope for what might come after. A covenant is being ratified here. His devotion is on display his proof of more than devotional words in spiritual moments. There's actual steps that cost, that draw the deep out of me, that show I'm in this for life, that it's soaked to the bone and that I'm not holding anything back. It's a funny old thing, this human heart of ours, that if you don't have these moments, if you don't have these proofs, if you don't actually go there, if you haven't been to this mountaintop, if you haven't been to this rock face, it becomes lip service. But when you've been here a few times, when you've actually had to make the choice, when you've made the choice on behalf of God, something settles in your heart and something settles in him. And you too know there's a layer of trust here. And Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, father, yes, my son, the fire and the wood are here. Where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. Hey, Dad, uh-huh. can we talk about the lamb thing? God's going to provide a lamb. And we hear echoing down through the annals of time the scream of John the baptizer who said, look, there is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the whole world. That was the prophecy of Abraham made good. God himself will provide a lamb. And they went on in full assurance of faith with no other evidence to rely on. Nothing. There's no lamb. They're in a desert. There's nothing showing. There's nothing anywhere. They even had to bring the wood. And when they reached the place that God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. And he bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And then he reached out his hand and took hold of the knife to slay his son. Builds an altar, arranges the wood, ties his son up, lays him down, takes the knife, is about to kill him. Let's just pause here for a moment because I want to take you to what we know about what Abraham is thinking because Hebrews tells us about what Abraham was thinking at this moment. Hebrews 11 says, By faith Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice, whom he, had em- he who had embraced the promise was about to sacrifice the one and only son, even though God had said to him, It is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so, in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. 
Abraham said, all right, God told me to do this. And God said, it's through his living, he, he's going to have kids. He's just a boy now, but he's going to grow up. He's going to have kids. There are going to be many generations. That's what God said. And now God's telling me to kill him. So God must be able to resurrect him. All righty then. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he called. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. God called out his name twice, urgently. Don't harm this boy. I wonder if Isaac heard that angel's voice too. Because now I know, God says, now that the chips are down and the pressure of the moment, I see what's in your heart. I know what you were determined to do. I see that you have not withheld from me your only son, your first love. And Abraham looked up, and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. And he went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. And to this day, it says, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Yahweh Jireh. Or as the song goes, Jehovah Jireh. He called that place, the Lord will provide. Literally, the Lord will see to it. The Lord will see what you need. The Lord will go ahead of you to see that what you need is done. The Lord who goes ahead, the Lord who prepares, who sees the need, goes ahead of you to meet the need, and you will be provided for and it's strange to me that it's only after his obedience that his eyes were opened. The ram was there all the time, but it's only after he obeyed that he saw. And things become visible after you do what the Lord has said. Jesus said, John 17, 7, anybody who chooses to do my will will discover whether I'm from God or not. Now he sees a ram caught in a thicket right at the spot where God had told him to be. This means that all the while that he and Isaac were walking up this side of the mountain, God was causing a ram to wander up the other side of the mountain. And even though he could not see the ram, even while he was walking on the way, God was already in process of bringing a, a ram up the mountain. And that ram got caught in a thicket. And he and his son, uh, the ram, I don't know how long the ram waited there for them, but then they came up and did not see the ram. I was talking to Tom before the service. I think God prodded that ram in the ribs. <laughs> Oh, there's a ram right there or something, you know. Even though you cannot see it right now, the God who sees has gone ahead of you to provide what is still lacking for you while you're still moving towards the point that he's called you to go. He is Jehovah Jireh, the God who sees, who has seen, who has gone ahead of you and has filled the, the, the stocked up the cupboards of provision for your need when you get to where he's called you to be. Amen. God sees, and He sees your need, and He sees your heart, and He sees the problems you're facing. And God sees the tests you're going through, and because He sees, He has already provided. Jesus taught, He said, don't worry about what you need, because your Father who sees already knows what you need before you've asked. So by the time you get to a place where you have a clarity on your need, and you start to ask, He's already been ahead of you to provide what you're asking for now. And if you were just... 
if you would just quieten your spirit down a little bit while you're walking up the mountain of God's calling, if you're just able to keep quiet, you'll hear the rustling on the other side of the mountain as God's causing the provision that he intended for you to be there. He's already gone into your tomorrow to see the provision and get it caught up at exactly the right time in exactly the right place. And so a saying developed. And so out of that scripture, it says, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. That was, became a saying in Israel. First mentioned in that scripture. See, God is the God who sends his best. God is God who, who provides liberally, generously, to what the scripture says. He gives generously to all without finding fault. He is the God who gives us everything we need for our enjoyment. My father orders big and tips well. That's who he is. He orders big and he tips big. He's not a stingy person. He doesn't order the lobster and look away when the check comes. He orders big there's more than enough to take home, and he tips extremely well. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. And on the mountain of God's calling on your life, it will be provided for you. There's some people sitting in this meeting today, and you're worried about provision. And I felt like the Lord said, you need to preach this message. You need to tell people, I am the God who sees. And I am already, I have already. Rams are already stuck in tickets waiting for you. Because you wandered in the general direction of God's calling and, he, and that ram has been there for three days. <laughs> A little thirsty by now. God's, come on now. Do what I told you to do. Go where I called you to go. Say what I called you to say. But I want to see the ram before I go. Before we went to Pakistan, I went to lunch with Leif. We were sitting in a restaurant, about $85,000 short of what was needed for the trip. The previous week, Leif had gone to a church and invited him, but the, a whole bunch of stuff had happened, and all the people had disappeared, and there, was, there were 17 people in the meeting. So he goes to the meeting, he's flown, he's driven, he's tired, his back is hurting, and there's 17 people. And that's a little discouraging when you're tired. So he said, he made up his mind. He said, Lord, I'm going to give them everything I got. I'm not holding anything back. And he ministered. And by the time he finished the meeting, I think there were 25 people in the meeting. And he loved them and he poured out and he went back to the hotel, exhausted, another hour and a half drive to the airport, another two hours wait at the airport, another two hours flight. Long weekend. Hardly, you know, I think they gave him a pat on the back and a Coke. Thanks so much for coming. You know the feeling. It wasn't quite that bad, I'm exaggerating, but it's. I'm sitting in the restaurant with Leif a week later, and we're $85,000 short. And he said, you know, I could go out and knock on the door and give specials and go on social media and, and hey, we need this money. He said, well, he said, I really can't we just ask, why don't we just ask the Lord? So we sat there in Houston's restaurant, held their hands and prayed and said, Jesus, could you do this for us? And we said goodbye and in the car, 10 minutes later, he calls me. He says, this is uh, one of the 17 people who were in the meeting 
calls him and says, I just felt like the Lord spoke to me. And I, I, I'm going to give you $85,000 for this trip. Some of you are sitting here thinking, I can't take a step forward because I haven't seen the ram yet. And you don't have to see the ram. You have to see Jehovah Jireh. And if you can see him, you don't worry about the ram. You just do what he told you to do. And there's some people in this place who have been worried and nervous about provision. I'm telling you. I, watch. I really think the next seven to ten days in our church is going to be astounding. Because some of you are going to just dare to take hold of the edge of his robe and trust him for provision. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. If you're going to where God told you to go, he's going to, he's going to do it. God always sends his best. He sent the prophets. He trained prophets up. You know how long it takes to train a prophet? Years. Guy, discipline and obedience. And he's hearing the voice of God and he's learned. And, and when he's finally, God's got this prophet and they've given their life 20, 30 years to developing and growing their gifting. And God says, all right, I've got a calling for you. I want you to go to my people. And he sends them to his people. And most of them, they beat. And oftentimes, they killed them. God sent his best. And he sent his word, and they maligned his word. And then he, he sent his son, his beloved son. And they said, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him, and then we can own the vineyard. And then he sent his spirit. God, God is not stingy. He gives his best. Because on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. God does not hold back. And it's the devil that said, God is stingy. He, he, he's, he's holding something back from you, Adam. He, he doesn't want you to become like him. And God had given them everything he had created. God had created everything, and he put man in charge. And Adam woke to a creation he had no hand in making, but he was just given authority over it all. And then he still believed the devil. Go, oh, God is stingy. He's holding stuff back from you. And you know that same lie? That same lie comes out of the mind of the most stingy being in the universe, the devil. He goes, oh, you know, because that's all he can see. I don't trust God. He's holding something back. But those who see God go, he, he holds nothing back. He gives his best all the time. Romans 8, 32 says, If he did not spare his own son, but he gave him up for you, how much more will he then along with him freely give you all things? You think if he wouldn't hold his son back, you think he's worried about a little bit of provision. Between the promise, the process, and the provision stands a loving God who wants you to know him. In Isaiah, this, Isaiah 65 talks about this idea that God held out his hands to his people. That is quoted again in Romans 4, uh, Romans, various places, Romans 11, talks about this idea about God held out his hands. And he said this, I revealed myself to those who did not ask me. He's talking about the Gentiles. And I was found by those who didn't seek me. To a nation that did not call on my name, I said, here I am. All day long, I've held out my hands to an obstinate people. 
who walk in ways that are not good, pursuing their own imaginations, are people who continually provoke me to my very face, offering sacrifices in gardens and burning incense on altars of brick. God said, I held up my hands to my people. I held nothing back from them. And they rejected me. So I turned to a people who weren't even looking for me, and I revealed myself to them. This idea that God turned to the Gentile nations because his own people refused his generosity. I held out my hands, holding nothing back, and my own people just said, eh, I don't think so. And God changed the mechanism that you could receive. Because the Jews said no because they think we, we weren't ready because they were trying to obey the law and none of them could do it. And so none of them felt worthy to go and receive everything that God had for them. And so God changed the mechanism and he said, now, it's not going to be by your obedience. It's now going to be by faith in my son. And if you believe in my son, I'll just give you everything as an inheritance. How much more will he not along with him give us all things? And so if you love Jesus and if you've taken his name if you come and ask in Jesus' name, God the Father stands with open arms, free and ready to give you all things, as much as your faith can receive. Some people sitting in this place are sitting here in need, financial need, provision need. You need peace, you need wisdom, you need help from heaven, you need creative ideas. You need to turn around in your business. You need to turn around in your family. You need provision from God. You need the help of heaven. And I'm here to tell you that God is standing with open arms wanting to meet you today. So I'm going to end this meeting with a prayer, simple prayer. And it's an offer extended to you personally. Just reach out and grab the edge of Jesus' cloak and receive everything he's already died to purchase for you. More than anything, I'm hoping that the Lord will remove from your heart the bitterness, the accusation, the disappointment, that lack has built up in your heart towards the Lord. That a new relationship of trust is born today. So Father, we come to you in Jesus' beautiful name. And we dare, Lord, with uh, the faith we have to reach out and lay hold of the edge of your garment for provision. And I'm asking, Lord, that all over this church for the next 10 days, there would be supernatural provision, breakthrough, open doors, provisions. Lord, businesses spun to life, doors flung wide, uh, new careers offered, not just one or two, Lord, four or five just different offers. Breakthrough ideas, Lord. Create bridges of commerce. 
I just see bridges being created, Lord, and I just sanction, I agree with it. Create bridges of commerce, Lord, that people can travel back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Multiple provisions I see. A bridge, a gateway of opportunity. Your word says, Lord, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. And I release that faith. You are the God who sees. You are the God who has already gone ahead to meet this need. You said, Jesus, your Father knows before you've asked. So I know, Father, that these people, those of us, Lord, who have been crying out, you've already seen the need. Now, Father, I pray for a supernatural release, and I pray that you'd make it, Lord, a testimony for our church. I pray there'd be so many testimonies. There would be a testimony among us. Not about, Lord, us, but about who you are, the magnificence of your beauty. Raise up for yourself, Lord, hundreds of testimonies in this week for the sake of your name. In Jesus' name, amen.